This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will be a question session reviewing multiple choice questions related to wear and osteolysis basic science, which is one of the topics that we covered this past week on the podcast. So let's get right into it. The first question reads, Osteolysis occurs because there is a histiocytic response by macrophages to wear debris. What size particles are implicated in osteolysis? And the choices are 1, less than 1 micron, also known as a submicron particle, 2, approximately 10 microns, 3, approximately 100 microns, 4, approximately 1,000 microns, and 5, approximately 5,000 microns. So osteolysis is the histiocytic response by macrophages to wear debris particles, which are often less than 1 micron in size, making number 1 the correct answer to this question. So to quickly review, osteolysis is a particle-induced biological process occurring at the bone metal or bone cement interface around total joints, resulting in rapidly expanding focal lesions that may or may not cause loosening. Its slower counterpart, aseptic loosening, involves the identical biological process, where particles generated within the joint space are phagocytosed and stored within cells in the joint capsule. Submicron particles are retained within macrophages and are implicated in osteolysis. Campbell et al. described an isolation method to recover ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene particles from tissues around failed total hip replacements. This process yielded particles that had rounded or elongated shapes. Additionally, the majority of particles isolated were reported to be submicron in size. McKellop reviews four topics in wear including modes, mechanisms, damage, and debris. Four modes that create debris are described. Where mode 1 occurs when the two bearing surfaces are articulating against each other in the manner intended by the implant designer. Mode 2 occurs when a bearing surface articulates against a non-bearing surface. Mode 3 occurs when third-body abrasive particles have become entrapped between the two bearing surfaces. And mode 4 occurs when two non-bearing surfaces are wearing against each other. Moving on to the next question. Which type of inflammatory cell is thought to be involved in the activation of the biological response to metal-on-metal particulate debris? And the choices are 1, a neutrophil, 2, giant cell, 3, macrophage, 4, eosinophil, and 5, lymphocyte. So the correct answer to this question is 5, a lymphocyte is thought to be involved in the activation of the biological response to metal-on-metal particulate debris. To quickly review, metal-on-metal prostheses generate less volumetric wear than metal-on-polyethylene prostheses and produce smaller, nanometer-sized wear particles. Two types of adverse reactions have been noted in failed metal-on-metal articulations, and these include 1. Perivascular infiltrate on lymphocytes indicative of a delayed-type hypersensitivity response to metal wear products, and 2. An aseptic, lymphocyte-dominated, vasculitis-associated lesion, or an alval lesion. The histopathology of pseudotumors, or adverse local tissue reactions, has been shown to be consistent with alval lesions. Heisel et al. reviews the alternative bearing choices for total hip arthroplasty. Ceramic and metal-on-metal bearings have demonstrated reduced wear rates compared to metal-on-polyethylene articulations. However, long-term clinical results have yet to determine any clinical improvement. Davies et al., evaluated periprosthetic tissue samples from 25 metal-on-metal total hip replacements and compared them to samples from metal-on-polyethylene total hips and osteoarthritic hips. A unique lymphocytic infiltrate was demonstrated in the metal-on-metal hips. 
the body's immune response to metallic debris is different than its response to osteoarthritis and polyethylene debris. Plummer et al. demonstrates that alval lesion severity doesn't necessarily correlate with metal ion levels, what we would assume would be higher wear. There does seem to be a predominance of monocytes in the synovial fluid, however, in those with alval lesions. Again, maybe the downstream effectors of the lymphocytic activation if the type 4 reaction is true. To quickly go over the incorrect answers for this question, answer 1, neutrophils are typically stimulated as part of the response to infection, not particulate wear debris. Answers 2 and 3, macrophage, fibroblasts, and giant cells are released in response to the particulate wear debris created from metal-on-polyethylene articulations, not metal-on-metal articulations. They may be subsequently recruited by lymphocytes in delayed hypersensitivity reactions, but they are not believed to be the initial activators of the response like lymphocytes are. Answer 4, eosinophilic granuloma formation results from the clonal proliferation of Langerhans-type histiocytes and is not related to wear debris. Moving on to the next question, which of the following molecules is associated with macrophage-induced osteolysis surrounding orthopedic implants? And the choices are 1, BMP7, 2, IL-10, 3, SOX-9, 4, osteoprotegrin, and 5, IL-1. So, of these options provided, IL-1 is most associated with macrophage-induced osteolysis surrounding orthopedic implants. Macrophages initiate the inflammatory cascade associated with aseptic loosening of orthopedic implants by secreting platelet-derived growth factor, prostaglandin E2, TNF-alpha, IL-1, and IL-6. Archibek et al. state the primary cells involved in the process of periprosthetic loosening include the macrophage, osteoblast, fibroblast, and osteoclast. They report the chemical mediators that are responsible for the cellular interactions and effects on bone primarily include PGE2, TNF-alpha, IL-1, and IL-6. Dries et al. discuss the molecular pathway of aseptic loosening of orthopedic implants. They describe the following steps. 1. Wear debris particles released at the cement bone interface attract macrophages, which in turn are stimulated to produce pro-inflammatory mediators and proteolytic enzymes. 2. Rank-L, TNF-alpha, IL-1, IL-6, IL-17, and MCSF mediate the differentiation of myeloid precursor cells into multinucleated osteoclasts, which release cathepsin K and acid and cause resorption lacunae. 3. Mesenchymal cells, or prosthesis-loosening fibroblasts, present at the bone surface contribute actively to bone resorption. Moving on to the next question, a design surgeon has created a new polyethylene acetabular liner for total hip arthroplasty. Early clinical outcomes are comparable to conventional total hip arthroplasty. At 4-year follow-up, radioisometric analysis reveals 0.05 millimeter of annual wear in the surgeon's trial patients. Which of the following statements can be made from this data? And the choices are 1. Osteolysis and subsequent component loosening will be minimal if the wear rate continues. 2. Osteolysis and subsequent component loosening will be greater than conventional hip arthroplasty if the wear rate continues. 3. Component positioning should have no effect on wear rates of these bearings. 4. All total hip arthroplasty should use this new polyethylene. And 5. Patient satisfaction will be greater at 10 years of follow-up. The correct answer to this question is 1. Osteolysis and subsequent component loosening will be minimal if the wear rate continues in this scenario. So polyethylene wear rates have shown association with osteolysis and subsequent component loosening. Wear rates above 0.1 millimeters per year are at significant risk of osteolysis.
Dumbleton et al. performed a meta-analysis of the literature concerning wear rates in osteolysis. They concluded that osteolysis was rarely observed when the wear rate was less than 0.1 millimeters per year. Sakalkali et al. reported on 10-year follow-up of 60 total hips performed with cementless tapered circumferentially coated femoral stems. They reported no osteolysis of the femoral component, even though there was a high incidence of acetabular osteolysis. Sochart et al. reviewed 235 total hip arthroplasties performed by Charnley with 20-year follow-up. Osteolysis and revision was significantly associated with polyethylene wear rates. Average wear rates for hips that did not go on to revision was 0.09 mm per year compared to 0.19 mm per year for hips that were subsequently revised for loosening. Moving on to the next question, osteoprotegrin binds to what structure to inhibit particle-induced osteolysis? And the choices are 1. Rank, 2. Rank ligand, 3. OPG receptor, 4. CD7, and 5. CD10. So the correct answer to this question is 2. Osteoprotegrin binds to rank ligand to inhibit particle-induced osteolysis. So osteoprotegrin binds to rank ligand to inhibit it from binding to rank, which are present on osteoclast precursor cells. Normally, rank ligand interacts with rank to stimulate activation of osteoclasts. Moving on to the next question, which of the following variables is associated with elevated serum metal ion levels following metal-on-metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty? And the choices are 1. Smaller implant diameter, 2. Smaller acetabular cup abduction angle, 3. Higher postoperative functional scores, 4. Severe preoperative osteoarthritis, and 5. Antiversion of acetabular cup between 10 and 20 degrees. The correct answer to this question is 1. Smaller implant diameter is associated with elevated serum metal ion levels following metal-on-metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty. So smaller femoral head diameter is associated with elevated serum metal ion levels with metal-on-metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty. Metal-on-metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty has the advantage of better wear properties, that is lower liner wear rates and volume of particles, than metal-on-polyethylene. However, elevated serum metal ion levels is one of the negatives which has received much attention recently. Studies have found smaller implant diameter and acetabular cup abduction angles of greater than 55 degrees are associated with elevated serum metal ion levels. Cup abduction angles of greater than 55 degrees lead to a more vertical cup and edge loading. Desi et al. found that smaller implant diameter, larger cup inclination, and lower postoperative functional scores are associated with increased cobalt and chromium levels after metal-on-metal hip resurfacing. They found that severity of preoperative osteoarthritis, acetabular version, femoral stem shaft and valgus angle, and anterior orientation of the femoral component had no effect on the circulating metal ion levels. Dihan et al. obtained serum ion levels in 214 metal-on-metal resurfacing patients at least one year following surgery. They found that cup abduction angles greater than 55 degrees, combined with smaller component sizes, led to edge loading and elevated ion levels. Moving on to the next question, a patient undergoes a primary total hip arthroplasty with a highly cross-linked ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene acetabular liner. In comparison to a 28mm femoral head, a 32mm femoral head will provide which of the following? And the choices are 1. Increased risk of dislocation, 2. Decreased range of motion, 3. Decreased risk of osteolysis, 4. Equivalent wear rate of the polyethylene acetabular liner, and 5. Increased risk of periprosthetic fracture.
the correct answer to this question is 4. In comparison to a 28mm femoral head, a 32mm femoral head will provide equivalent wear rate of the polyethylene acetabular liner. So wear rates of highly cross-linked ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene liners are independent of femoral head size between 22 and 46 millimeters in diameter. While the wear rates of old polyethylene liners increased with increasing femoral head size, wear rates of the new highly cross-linked ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene liners have been shown to be independent of head size. This is extremely advantageous as increasing the femoral head size improves range of motion and increases jump distance, thereby decreasing dislocation rates. Geller et al. report a prospective series of 42 patients that had a total hip arthroplasty with a highly cross-linked ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene liner and a femoral head greater than 32 millimeters in diameter. After three years, there were no cases of osteolysis or failure due to aseptic loosening. Moving on to the next question. A new biomaterial has been designed for hard on soft bearings in total hip arthroplasty. The implant company claims this new material has a lower wear rate and greater toughness than highly cross-linked polyethylene. Which of the following studies would most accurately evaluate wear between the two materials? And the choices are 1. Retrospective review of each material with immediate post-operative radiographs compared to annual follow-up radiographs. 2. Prospective trial comparing each material with radio stereometric analysis. 3. Prospective trial comparing each material with annual CT scans. 4. Prospective trial comparing each material with computer-assisted edge detection radiographs. And 5. Retrospective trial comparing each material with computer-assisted edge detection radiographs. So radio stereometric analysis is the most effective method to evaluate polyethylene wear in arthroplasty, making 2 the correct answer to this question. Radio-opaque tantalum beads are inserted into the bone in strategic positions surrounding the implants. An immediate post-operative film records the position of the beads. The construct can then be followed with repeated radiographs over time by evaluating the position of the components relative to the beads. Bragdon et al. used radiostereometric analysis to compare wear rates of highly cross-linked polyethylene with 28mm and 36mm femoral heads. No differences were discovered in femoral head penetration between the two groups. McCaldin et al. summarizes the different methods available to evaluate polyethylene wear following total hip arthroplasty. Notably, radiostereometric analysis is the most accurate and precise, but is also expensive, requires technical expertise, and can only be used in a prospective manner. Moving on to the next question, which of the following is indicative of type 1 collagen breakdown and can be utilized as a marker of bone turnover? And the choices are 1. Increased urinary N-telopeptide, 2. Increased urinary cyclic AMP and phosphate, 3. Increased urinary phosphoethanolamine, 4. Increased urinary Benz-Jones proteins, and 5. Increased serum bone sialoprotein. Correct answer to this question is 1. Increased urinary N-telopeptide is indicative of type 1 collagen breakdown and can be utilized as a marker of bone turnover. So urinary N-telopeptide is a marker of increased bone turnover and is a breakdown product of type 1 collagen. Increased serum alkaline phosphatase level and increased urinary markers of N-telopeptide, hydroxyproline, deoxypyridinoline indicate high bone turnover and can be seen in metabolic bone diseases such as Paget's disease. Von Shevelov et al. reviewed 160 patients that underwent total hip replacements and examined their urine specimens to see if N-telopeptide levels correlated to periprosthetic osteolysis. 
they found that entelopeptide levels were one-third higher in the patients that had evidence of osteolysis. Entelopeptide release and annual wear were both associated with increased prevalence of osteolysis in the study. Moving on to the next question, when comparing conventional polyethylene liners to the newer, highly cross-linked polyethylene liners, all of the following are true except for one. Which of these statements about conventional polyethylene liners is incorrect? And the choices are one, higher steady-state femoral head penetration rate, two, more susceptible to adhesive wear, three, generate smaller wear particle size, four, increase fracture toughness, and five, increase tensile strength. So all of these statements regarding conventional polyethylene liners are true, except they generate larger, not smaller, wear particles than the highly cross-linked liners. It is the highly cross-linked liners that have been found to generate smaller wear particles. So the correct answer to this question is three, conventional polyethylene liners generate smaller wear particle size is an incorrect statement. So to quickly review again, highly cross-linked polyethylene and hip arthroplasty has been shown in multiple studies to be more wear-resistant compared to conventional polyethylene, particularly in regards to adhesive wear. The highly cross-linked poly generates wear particles of a smaller size. In a randomized clinical study with 6.8 years follow-up, McKeldin et al. found that THA with highly cross-linked poly had a significantly lower femoral head penetration rate, that is 0.003 millimeters per year, versus 0.051 millimeters per year with a p-value of 0.025, which indicates less linear wear in the highly cross-linked poly. The disadvantage of highly cross-linked poly is that the cross-linking reduces its mechanical properties, for example, decreased toughness, ductility, tensile strength, and fatigue strength. The study by Bradford et al. looked at explanted liners and saw consistent evidence of early surface deformation and cracking. All explants exhibited some form of surface change, including surface cracking, abrasion, pitting, or scratching. The paper by Jacobs makes the point that cross-linked polys do seem to exhibit lower wear rates without significant osteolysis problems. Moving on to the next question, a 45-year-old male with a history of avascular necrosis undergoes a total hip arthroplasty using a metal-on-metal -metal bearing. Which of the following statements regarding the use of metal-on-metal -metal bearings is true? And the choices are 1. They produce lower serum metal ion concentrations than metal on cross-linked polyethylene bearings. Two, they have a decreased volumetric wear rate compared to metal on ceramic bearings. Three, they have smaller wear particles compared to metal on cross-linked polyethylene bearings. Four, they have a higher incidence of early soft tissue sarcoma compared to all other bearing surfaces. And five, the wear rate significantly increases after the first year of use. So metal-on-metal metal bearings used in total hip arthroplasty form smaller wear particles compared to metal-on-cross-linked polyethylene bearings, making three the correct answer to this question. Metal-on-metal metal bearings produced higher serum metal ion concentrations, however lower volumetric wear rates, and achieve a steady state of wear after the first year of use, whereby the wear rate then decreases. The volumetric wear rate of metal-on-metal metal articulations is greater than metal-on-ceramic as reported by in vitro studies. Also, there is no evidence to suggest an increased risk of soft tissue sarcoma with the use of metal-on-metal -metal bearings. Moving on to the next question. All of the following are risk factors for wear-related failure in total knee arthroplasty when using a polyethylene liner that underwent sterilization via gamma irradiation in air except. And the choices are 1. Increasing shelf life of polyethylene liner. 2. Younger age of the patient. 3. Male gender. 4. Posterior cruciate retaining knee design and five, use of a rough tibial base plate. 
So increasing shelf life, younger age, male gender, and a rough tibial base plate are all risk factors for wear-related failure in total knee arthroplasty when using a polyethylene liner. Posterior cruciate retaining knee design is not a documented risk factor. Ferring et al. reviewed 2,091 total knee arthroplasties using the PressFit Condylar system and noted that the 13-year survivorship for all patients was 82.6% with an 8.3% prevalence of wear-related failure. Cox Hazard's analysis revealed five variables that were correlated with wear-related failure, and these were patient age, patient gender, polyethylene sheet vendor, polyethylene finishing method, and polyethylene shelf age. They were unable to identify one factor as the defining reason for these wear-related failures. They cautioned that these findings may only be specific to inserts that underwent sterilization by a gamma irradiation in air. But the correct answer to this question is four, posterior cruciate retaining knee design is not a risk factor for wear-related failure in total knee arthroplasty when using a polyethylene liner that underwent sterilization by a gamma irradiation in air. Collier et al. followed 365 total knee arthroplasties that were posterior cruciate retaining for 5 to 10 years and noted that factors related to polyethylene insert osteolysis included advanced shelf age, sterilization method, and the material from which it was machined. Osteolysis was identified in 34% with an insert that had been gamma irradiated in air and affixed to a rough base plate surface, but only 9% when the insert had been gamma irradiated in an inert gas or not irradiated at all and joined to a polished surface. Moving on to the next question. Ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene particles have been associated with osteoclastogenesis, a key component of osteolysis and total joint replacement. Which of the following accurately describes the expression of vascular endothelial growth factor and rank L during ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene-induced osteolysis? And the choices are 1. Rank L expression is increased and VEGF is unchanged or mildly decreased. 2. VEGF expression is increased and rank L is decreased. 3. VEGF expression is increased and rank L expression is unchanged. 4. Expression of both VEGF and rank L is increased. And 5. Expression of both VEGF and rank L is decreased. The correct answer to this question is 4. Expression of both VEGF and rank L is increased during ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene-induced osteolysis. So rank L, rank, and VEGF are upregulated in any process that involves increased osteoclast activity. REN et al. found in a mouse model study that ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene stimulation significantly increased VEGF, rank L, and rank L gene expression. VEGF inhibitor was shown to reduce the ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene-stimulated VEGF production. VEGF inhibitor also resulted in reduced rank and rank L gene transcripts. Thus, this study suggests that VEGF has a role in the regulation of rank, rank L-mediated osteoclastogenesis. VEGF is also an important factor in angiogenesis in multiple tissues, including normal tissue like tendons and several cancers. Moving on to the next question. A 62-year-old man developed a pelvic mass five years after undergoing a metal-on-metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty. A biopsy was performed, and the histologic diagnosis of pseudotumor was made. What mechanism is associated with metal-on-metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty-related pseudotumors? And the choices are 1. Femoral head scratching from third-body debris. 2. Edge loading and associated loss of fluid film lubrication. 3. Increased macrophage reactivity to P. acnes and four, increased lymphocyte reactivity to nickel ion. So the correct answer to this question is two, 
Edge loading and associated loss of fluid film lubrication is the mechanism associated with metal-on-metal -metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty-related pseudotumors. So several reports have documented the development of pseudotumors in patients undergoing a metal-on-metal -metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty. The incidence of pseudotumor is likely lower than 1% in this group of patients. Patients usually are asymptomatic. Recent investigations suggest that pseudotumors occur more often with increased wear attributable to edge loading. Edge loading most commonly results from abnormal contact stresses that occur in the setting of a malpositioned cup orientation. Lymphocyte reactivity to cobalt, chromium, and nickel did not significantly differ in patients with pseudotumors compared to patients without pseudotumors. Macrophage reactivity to P. acnes would be present in the setting of infection, but not present in the development of pseudotumors. Moving on to the next question, osteolysis after total hip arthroplasty with polyethylene acetabular bearings is most closely correlated with which of the following risk factors? And the choices are 1. Patient weight, 2. Femoral head bearing material, 3. Linear wear rate, 4. Decreased femoral offset, and 5. Increased femoral offset. The correct answer to this question is 3. Osteolysis after total hip arthroplasty with polyethylene acetabular bearings is most closely correlated with linear wear rate. So the development of osteolysis appears to be multifactorial. Patient activity, component positioning, polyethylene oxidation level, and bearing surface all appear to contribute. They contribute, however, by increasing the rate of wear. Therefore, the one variable that correlates closest with the likelihood of osteolysis and the magnitude of osteolysis is the wear rate of the bearing couple. Wear can be measured linearly or volumetrically. Both correlate with the development of osteolysis. That's all for this question review session about wear and osteolysis basic science. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.